When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week's episode of For Real is sponsored by Hey YA, Book Riot's own podcast about all things young adult lit. Hey YA is a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by YA experts, enthusiasts, and authors Kelly Jensen and Eric Smith. The show delves into YA trends, adaptations, news, and boatloads of young adult book recommendations of all kinds. Each episode is guaranteed to amp up your TBR and leave you feeling excited about the wide and wonderful world of young adult books. Listen to Hey YA on Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ugra, and fellow rioter Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Thursday, June 18th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Um, I'm very yawny today. However, mm-hmm. uh, I was actually just thinking how it's midway – oh, no, it's more than midway through June, and I have, like, barely finished a book. I've made it substantially through a number of books, but not, like, actually finished them, which is just ruining my stats, which I am ever-present – well, ever-presently aware of. Let's have that be a phrase. <laughs> yeah, I feel – yeah, like, it, this year has felt particularly hard. I think I've talked about this before. Like, I either do not read anything at all – And then I will sit down on a weekend day often and just like read for three or four hours and finish a book. But that seems like the only time like I cannot read before bed. I cannot read at lunch. I cannot read in the morning. Like, it's so weird. It's weird. So weird. Your weekend marathon reading binges have continued? Uh, Not as much in the last couple of weekends. I've had things going on and been kind of – I've been watching a lot of TV still. So, but – I tend to read more on the weekends than I do on weekdays, that's for sure. Um, Speaking of TV, real quick, okay, because I almost never finish a series because I am so easily distracted by everything. I just finished Upload on Prime. Oh, so fun. It was really good, especially because I absolutely hated Space Force, another Greg Daniels new series. Mm. And it was like the opposite of that in that it was like extremely good. And I mean, I didn't like the romance, but whatever. The actual like world building of it, I was very mm-hmm. on board for. Yes, I liked Upload more than I liked Space Force as well. I think my friend was talking to me about Space Force, and she said that it's hard to watch it because it Space Force is satire, but it's so close to how the real world is right now that it's, like, upsetting to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was true. Well, and it's, like, not funny, is the <laughs> – <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, but, um, but I really, I like the whole, you know, thing with upload and like, there have to be novels about that kind of thing, right? About uploading yourself after you pass away. I would think so. I'm sure someone's done that. I'm sure someone has. I would read that is my main point. If anyone knows of a novel of that kind of idea of you pass away, but then your consciousness is uploaded into a real world-ish seeming construct, um, let me know at It's Alice Time on Twitter. (laughs) 
Very good. I do have one piece of follow-up, a book that I did actually finish since last time we talked on the podcast is uh, The Yellow House by Sarah Broom, which was my book club's read for June. And I thought it was awesome and it is well worth all of the accolades that it's getting. I was thinking that it reminded me a lot of The Glass Castle a little bit and also Educated. I felt like it had some of those kinds of themes and ideas running through it, but then the setting in New Orleans and the impact of Hurricane Katrina and kind of all of those pieces just made it kind of a really interesting and unique story. So um, if you get a chance, I think it starts out a little bit slow, but really gets going um, maybe like 50 pages in and just as a, it's a great read. So The Yellow House by Sarah Broom, I finished it, highly recommended. The Glass Castle and The Yellow House. If you were going to do a memoir based on your home, using an adjective plus a home type, what would it be? I was thinking I'd want to call it the giant chair. Oh. But that's not. I just got a new reading chair. That's my other news. So that's all I can think about is sitting back in my giant chair, which is on the other side of the room from my desk where I'm sitting right now. I would read the giant chair. Oh, gosh. Now my <laughs> my option was bad. Never mind. I'm not going to. No, it's yours. Tell me. I was just, lit- I'm a literalist and I was just like the brick cottage. I don't know. <laughs> That's just like an like a like an issue of better homes and gardens. Um, <laughs> anyway, hey, we are uh, having a giveaway, sort of. So if you can tell us a little more about yourself, you could possibly win an e-reader, which is awesome because I use mine all the time. So we're doing a reader survey. It will only take a few minutes, and you can see the questions and giveaway details at bookriot.com/slash twenty twenty survey. That is all. I think for a podcast, it's more like a listener survey, but yes, point taken. Do the survey, bookriot.com 2020 survey. All right. uh, So with that, we'll jump into our first sponsor, uh, which is a book that I I think I've talked about on the podcast a couple of times, which I really loved. And that is Ordinary Girls by Jakira Diaz, which is now available in paperback from Algonquin Books. So this is an electric debut memoir uh, where Jakira Diaz writes fiercely and eloquently about her challenging girlhood and triumphant coming of age. Uh, She grew up in housing projects in Puerto Rico and Miami Beach, uh, and while there she found herself caught between between extremes. She longed for a stable home, but her life was upended by violence. Uh, As her mother battled schizophrenia, Diaz was supported by the love of her friends, and as she celebrated her culture, she couldn't find support for her queer identity. Uh, The book is written with raw honesty, and it maps a way out of despair toward hope to become help Diaz become who she always wanted to be. So the book was published in hardcover in 2019, and it was named one of the must-read books of the year by O, Time, Bustle, Electric Literature, Publishers Weekly, The Millions, The Week, Good Housekeeping, and Elsewhere. And this is a book that's great for fans of Dominicana by Angie Cruz, Educated by Tara Westover, Heavy by Keith Lehman, uh, The Liars Club by Mary Carr, and Heartberries by Therese Marie Malhot. So I read this one. I really loved it. It's great. So Ordinary Girls by Jakira Diaz. And with that, we will uh, hop into our first regular segment, which is uh, nonfiction news. So kind of stuff is going on in the world of nonfiction, which there hasn't been a lot in the last few months. And then this week, we all of a sudden have three stories to mention. So I'm excited because they're all all interesting. Uh, And Alice, you actually have the first couple to, to share. Uh, yes, I very excitedly texted you. Did I text you? or It was like a DM or something. But uh, the fact that Ali Brosh of Hyperbole and a Half has uh, a new book coming out this fall. Finally. Oh, gosh. I mean, I feel like Ali Brosh is like a kindly hermit of the book world. <laughs> yes. And like everyone's always just like, I hope Ali Brosh is doing well. 
But, like, you also don't want to bother her. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. but, the, yeah, the fact that uh, she has a new book coming out is amazing. Uh, her, uh, if you don't know who she is, she's, like, a comic artist and has a book out called Hyperbole and a Half named after her blog, which uh, the meme, you know, like, clean all the things or blank all the things comes from that. She is an internet icon. And so this book is called Solutions and Other Problems by Ali Brosh, and it is coming out from Simon and Schuster. I'm trying to see, do we have the actual release date? I don't know. It's this fall. That's all, that's all the info I could give you on this this nonfiction informative podcast. Oh, September 22nd from Gallery Books. There's Kim with the win. And it, this thing says it's 528 pages long. I am so excited. <laughs> And how many authors can you say that about? Like when it's none. like, oh my Almost gosh, none. over 500 pages, what bliss. I will 100% buy that. So I'm very excited about New Alley Brosh. The other thing is uh, we talk a lot about the book I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara about the Golden State Killer, who she named um, again before he was called Eron's and uh, her dedication to the case and to, you know, making uh, his crimes known so that people would be drawn to, like, support work to catch him um, ended up essentially in, in him being caught after her her book came out. So they are they are making a documentary from HBO. Like, HBO released a trailer. There's a documentary series coming out on Michelle McNamara's hunt for the Golden State Killer. So if you read this book, if you really want to know more about Michelle, they also interview Patton Oswalt a lot in it. And it just – it looks really – Kind of in line with the book, you know, scary. It's going to be like heavy content, but also extremely interesting. Uh, So yeah, very excited to have that come out. Yeah, I think you sent me like the Instagram uh, stories, a trailer of it. And I mean, the book is really, really creepy. Like I remember I was reading it at night and then I was like, never mind, I cannot read this before bed. I have to only read it in the daytime when all of like my lights are also on. And the the trailer for the documentary just looks... So creepy. <laughs> so creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be so good. I'm actually really excited about it, but I probably cannot watch this at night. No. Either. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> oh, I probably will start it at night, though, and then I will regret that decision deeply. All right. So the new story that I brought this week is another book that's coming out uh, in the fall, and it comes out on September 1st, and the book is called Alone Together, Love, Grief, and Comfort During the Time of COVID-19. The book is a collection of essays, poems, and interviews that will benefit independent bookstores. So um, this collection was created by uh, journalist and author Jennifer Hott, and it will have more than 75 contributors, quite a long list of uh, authors of fiction, nonfiction, poetry, all that kind of stuff. And then the profits from sales of the collection will go to the Book Industry Charitable Foundation, which is a group that was formed to try and help uh, provide funding and support for independent bookstores that have been struggling due to being closed uh, uh, during COVID the COVID-19 coronavirus. So the book got started uh, getting put together in April and will come out this fall. And so I, the book has four sections, love, grief, comfort, and possibilities. Uh, so there's kind of those themes in the essays. And then each one begins with an interview by the author who is the curator of the blog, Psychology Today. So I think that should be really interesting. And then, yeah, buying it will help uh, independent bookstores, which is always a nice thing to do. So September, alone together, love, grief, and comfort during the time of COVID-19. Oh, that just reminded me. So, you know, how there was a push this week, the week, uh, I think it was this week, uh, the week that we're recording this to purchase books, um, either by black authors or from black owned bookstores. Hmm. And um, I know that I, I saw actually on Twitter that Minnesota does not have a black owned bookstore, which is nuts. 
I say this for listeners who don't know because Kim lives in Minnesota. I wasn't randomly picking <laughs> on Minnesota. Um, but Chicago has a semicolon. And I went on their page to try to order some books. And a number of the ones I wanted were backordered because so many people have been ordering from them. So it was super Amazing. awesome. Um, check out Semicolon, uh, the bookstore, if you are interested because they do awesome work. Excellent. That's a good recommendation too. All right. Uh, so that's some um, – I think all pretty good and interesting news, which is a nice change of pace from the universe, it <laughs> feels like. Uh, yeah. All right. So with that, we will jump into new books, which are books that have come out recently in the last couple of weeks, months, whatever, uh, that we are excited to read or talk about. So um, Alice, you were up first. Yes. Okay. So my pick is out June 23rd, which is Thank You for Voting, The Maddening, Enlightening, Inspiring Truth About Voting in America by Aaron Geiger-Smith. Uh, there is also, and I love that they did this, uh, ha- they had a young reader's edition that came out June 16th. So, you know, having them both sort of side by side so that they're available to different ages. So this is essentially looking at why, even though, you know, people are so like, either excited about voting or talking about how important the vote is, why in the 2016 election, uh, like 40% of Americans, half of the country's young adults didn't vote. So like, why are so many Americans either choosing not to vote or are unable to vote? So what Geiger Smith says is that it is a lack of understanding about our electoral system and also a need to make voting more accessible, right? Like the fact that we don't have like an election day as a holiday. That's nuts because a lot of people are just unable to take off and go vote, especially with the lines and restrictions the way that they are. So she also goes back and looks at, you know, voting from the like the founding fathers, like the framers perspective. She goes through the history of voting through the Equal Protection Amendment, the Voting Rights Act, and then also just like actions that you can take in order to increase like voter participation in local, state, and national elections. So I like that this is coming out now in June because obviously we have this big election coming up in November. And so there's a lot of time to kind of like get your mind framed around it. So she also goes back, by the way, she I really like she focuses on different sort of groups of people like in the their struggle for the vote because a lot of times we talked about this a little last episode like if people say oh women won the vote with the 19th amendment it's like well no (laughs) like like, some women won the vote primarily white women won the vote but a lot of black women were still unable to vote a lot of um actually all american indian women were unable to vote and i think chinese women because of the chinese exclusion act so she has sections on african americans in the vote native americans in the vote immigrants and the vote and then 18 year olds in the vote which i was like that's interesting so altogether if you want like a really concise informative look at our voting history and also what we can do and what we can like push corporations to do um, as members of the public to make voting more accessible and more widely done by the population at large. It is Thank You for Voting, The Maddening, Enlightening, Inspiring Truth About Voting in America by Aaron Geiger-Smith. Excellent. That's a really good pick. I feel like talking about challenges to voting is one of those things that will, it's just really important, you know, that people can and it's not dangerous and you don't have to stand on super long lines and all of that. And Minnesota has a really good election system and it's easy to register and it's easy to vote, but not everybody is that lucky. And so I think it's good to learn more about that for sure. Cool. Good pick. All right. So my first pick for this week is one, uh, the book came out July or June 9th from Harper Perennial. And that is Neon Girls, A Stripper's Education and Protest and Power by Jenny Worley. 
And so this is a memoir about a young woman who was a stripper in grunge era San Francisco and the strip club where she worked, uh, a radical group of dancers banded together to unionize and run the club on their own terms. And that's a quote from the book jacket because I thought it was a good one. So Jenny Worley was a graduate student and she was working in, um, I think, in publishing and not making very much money. And so she answered an ad for a job as a dancer at a place called the Lusty Lady Theater. And the Lusty Lady is not really what you think of as a strip club, or it's it's not what I generally think of. So the women would perform, they would dance on this enclosed stage, and it was just a room surrounded by mirrors, and then there were a bunch of rooms on the outside of this room where men would stand and kind of watch. So it's like sort of a peep show kind of a thing, rather than a strip club, I would kind of think. And so the first third of the book is kind of about her experience getting to understand like how the show works and uh, how to be a how to be a good dancer and the other women that she was kind of interacting with and stories about them and then the next section is about how she rallies the dancers to organize the first strippers union in the world the women were kind of unhappy with the management at the club and then they discovered hidden cameras and they were very rightfully upset about that and so they decided to um take over the club and run it as a cooperative, which uh, is just like so San Francisco. I can't even stand it. It's so funny. I mean, not funny that they had to do it, but just like the idea that they would become a like a cooperative strip club just made me laugh. So uh, I found this book absolutely fascinating. Worley really has this feel in the first part of it, kind of like an anthropologist. Like she is participating and she is an employee of this club, but she's really also kind of like coming at it from someone who doesn't really have any background and is kind of explaining how it works and what the different like power structures are and the scheduling and all of these just like intricacies about how this place functions, which I found really fascinating because I love books that are about like how things work. And so I sat down to start reading it and then all of a sudden I was like 25% through the galley I was reading and like looked up and was like, wow, that was amazing. So um, I just, I thought it was so interesting and fun and kind of a peek at life in San Francisco in the, the you know the early 90s and all of that kind of stuff. And so just just a really interesting book about something I didn't really know anything about, but that I'm kind of fascinated by. So that is Neon Girls, A Stripper's Education and Protest and Power by Jenny Worley. I have been to a strip club one time and I didn't know the etiquette. So I just kept telling the women there that they were doing a great job. I mean, I tipped them too. I tipped them. I wasn't just like, you know, you're supposed to do that. I knew that part. But um, yeah, in terms of actual chatting. <laughs> just like- I, have, I have never been. So I had I had no idea. But I, like I had ideas about, you know, what a strip club is from like movies and stuff like that. And the way that she describes it is not at all like that. So that was really interesting to me too. Well, and movies de- generally don't also have, you know, the empowering move of essentially unionizing, right? Yes. For, so mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. And I want to make a note for listeners. Kim has been so excited to talk about this book. <laughs> I know. They moved the pub date and she was like, no, <laughs> I want to talk about it now. I was going to talk about it like a month ago, and then they moved the publication date, and I was like, gosh darn it, come on. <laughs> I want to tell everybody about how fun this book is. Gosh darn it, said the Minnesotan. That's great. <laughs> okay, my next pick. Oh, it's actually kind of a turn. Okay, so it is Not a Gentleman's Work, The Untold Story of a Gruesome Murder at Sea and the Long Road to Truth by Gerard Keppel. That is a turn. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was, when, I, when I saw it, it's, quite, it's kind of like a bottle episode. Except, you know, this was like real people's lives and it was a real tragedy. So not to make it into like a fiction thing. But 
So the story is there was the Herbert Fuller, which was this three-masted sailing ship that leaves Boston going to Buenos Aires in 1896. There are 12 people on board. So there's the captain and the owner of it, Charles Nash, his wife, uh, who he'd known since childhood, Laura, and then two mates and a steward and six crewmen and one passenger. And the passenger was like the son of this very wealthy family in Massachusetts who had been kicked out of college and was on the ship. Essentially, they didn't say this, but like in the book, he's like, it was because he had a drinking problem. So they were trying to dry him out by putting him out to sea for like months, except he snuck a lot of alcohol on board. So on the sixth day at sea, the captain, his wife, and the second mate were all murdered in their bunk rooms with the ship's axe. And then like the axe was found on the deck of the ship. I'm going to be like grasping for boat terms during the, But <laughs> no one saw or heard the killings. The one passenger was sleeping immediately next door to the wife. Like the wife was in a separate cabin from her husband. He was sleeping in the room with like the maps. And then everyone was kind of that group of people was partitioned off from like the rest of the crew. So that's why they didn't hear anything. But like the guy, the passenger was like, oh, no, I just sleep really soundly and I didn't hear anything. So they get back. They like turn the ship. Right. They've got these like three murdered people. On a with a crew of twelve, and now there's nine people. Do you know how terrifying that would be? Sorry. Okay, this whole story was just like bananas when I heard it. It's like that Agatha Christie story where they're all on an island and then everyone keeps dying. Oh, and then there were none. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like that. So they turn around, they go back, and the person arrested is the steward. Who? Okay, so his family. He's he's mixed race. I think his. Maybe both his parents were black. It was like, it was a little unclear in the book, but essentially he did never claimed his own blackness. Like he was like, no, I'm white. And everyone was kind of like, okay. But they had like notes from journals of people being like, you know, basically calling out his race, which was important because they used him as a scapegoat. And they were like, clearly it was this guy who like committed the murders. So what this uh, author, Gerard Keppel, is saying is, well, but, like, maybe not. And what was going on with the, like, Harvard passenger who was, like, with the drinking problem who was sleeping right next to the murdered people. And then was like, oh, no, it was definitely this, you know, steward. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. So it's it's a really interesting story. There's a lot about boats for, like, a murder <laughs> Like a murder book. So you know how like sometimes you can tell that someone's a boat person? Like mm -hmm. Nathaniel Philbrick is just like so into boats. And every True. single book you read, you're like, oh, yeah, you got to – you gotta mention in there of the boats again. Okay, so Gerard Keppel is clearly very into boats, so you can skim some parts if you're not <laughs> into hearing about different masts and why they were using sailing ships instead of steam at this point in the world. But in terms of the actual story, he like gets really into the backgrounds of the people and, you know, like sort of breaking down the elements of the case. So if you want to read about uh, Murder at Sea, it was truly awful. Then it is Not a Gentleman's Work, The Untold Story of a Gruesome Murder at Sea and the Long Road to Truth by Gerard Keppel. I want to be like, ooh, that sounds good, but also it sounds kind of sad. But it does sound good. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, good, good pick. All right, so my uh, final pick for new books this week is called See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love by Valerie Kaur. Uh, and it comes out June 16th from One World. Uh, and this is a uh, an urgent manifesto and a dramatic memoir of, a of awakening about revolutionary love. So the author is a civil rights activist, a lawyer, a filmmaker, an innovator. Uh, and she has won acclaim for her advocacy that is based around storytelling and helping to win policy change on issues from hate crimes to digital freedom. And so 
she is sick and is uh, writing about how that uh, religion and some of her own philosophy and experiences have supported the idea of revolutionary love, which is the idea of having a radical, joyful practice that extends in three directions, uh, love to others, love to our opponents, and love to ourselves, and then looking at the world as sort of a place of wonder and that that idea can be really transforming in our interactions and our relationships with the people around us. So it is kind of a call to action about that idea, but also uh, it's her own personal story about growing up in California being awakened as an activist by the murder of sick people after 9-11, being mistaken for Muslims, which doesn't make it okay at all anyway, about fighting injustice as a law student, and then working as an activist in communities uh, that have been uh, persecuted in different ways. So this book, she kind of looks to science, philosophy, activism to talk about how love is an active public and revolutionary force. And so if we can look at the world with love and wonder, we can try and find um, new ways of being in it. And I read a bit of this one and it's just, it's a, it's an interesting perspective and a kind of positive and joyful and I just, I appreciate the call to positivity and the call to think about others and look at the world as a place worth being wonderful and with wonderful things in it. I think that's really powerful. So I'm interested to keep reading this one uh, as I go forward. So that is See No Stranger, A Memoir and Manifesto of Revolutionary Love by Valerie Kaur. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's it for new books. That is it for new books. But we have another sponsor and I'm really excited about it. So occasionally... Kim or I will start a new book, we'll be super excited about it, and then we'll find out that it's a sponsor of the podcast. And we sometimes will talk about it anyway, but sometimes there are so many new books that we're like, okay, I'll make a slot for that, and then we'll talk about it anyway, which is exciting. So, okay, our sponsor is From Harper Perennial, Twisted by Emma DeBeery. What is this book? Great question. So from Guardian contributor prominent BBC race correspondent Emma DeBeery comes a timely and resonant essay collection exploring the ways in which black hair has been appropriated and stigmatized throughout history with ruminations on body politics, race, pop culture, and DeBeery's own journey to loving her hair. So essentially, if you like nonfiction that is like a little academic in terms of a lot of research and evidence, and then also, and photos, she has photos, and also um, stories from the author's own life and perspective, then this is a really good example of it. So the full title is Twisted, The Tangled History of Black Hair Culture. And so it looks at the ways in which black hair has, again, yeah, sort of been appropriate and stigmatized. She looks through the lens of hair texture and just shows you sort of the historical and cultural investigation of the global history of racism and her own personal journey of self-love and acceptance. So that's where in it she has photos photos of like herself as like a child and like talks about like how she felt about her hair and the messages she absorbed and then also how it sort of is seen around the world and like how this she just gets so into the history of it I just love it so much Phoebe Robinson the host of the podcast two dope queens and author of the book you can't touch my hair calls the book a must read so again that is twisted by Emma DeBeery and uh thank you Harper Perennial for sponsoring I will say that's another book that has a gorgeous cover. It's so cool. True. And it looked awesome. So I was really excited that you were going to talk about it and then also that I was sponsoring because it looks great. Awesome. So that wraps up uh, New Books and our first sponsor. Um, so we'll shift into our, our 
themed segment this week, uh, which we decided to do uh, audiobooks because June is audiobook month. But we decided to try and focus on audiobooks that are kind of short and sweet. So things that you, because none of us, I used to listen to audiobooks on my commute to and from work, but now that I am working primarily from home, I have no like long audiobook time. So we thought we would focus on audiobooks that have kind of short chapters or essays or something like that that could kind of feel a little bit like podcasty so you could listen to them in short bursts uh, without having to kind of hold on to a whole narrative thread through the, the book. So one example of an author who we both love that I think would fit into this category is Samantha Irby um, because her essay collections are uh, hilarious and the essays kind of connect to each other but I think you could sort of pick up any single essay and you wouldn't really be missing anything from, you know, listening to it out of context. I don't know. Do you have anything else to add before we get into the books? No, I think that that's a good recommendation. And she's got three books out now. Yes. So you could really go listen to a lot of Samantha Irby and it would be very funny. Uh, she's awesome. But we are, so we're going to recommend some kind of short and sweet audiobooks this week. Yeah. So um, I will kick it off with, I, and I told Kim, I was like, I don't listen to a lot of audiobooks. And then I realized that I, the ones I do are actually do listen to are really perfect for this kind of segment because I do like, you know, sort of either celebrity memoirs or like essay collections on audio. Um, and that's awesome. So my first pick is we're going to need more wine stories that are funny, complicated and true by Gabrielle Union. This book is it's real. Oh gosh, it's really interesting. So she's a really good writer, unlike a lot of celebrity memoir is <laughs> to kind of like skate by by you like liking them anyway. And then mm. they're kind of funny. But she's a genuinely good writer. And her audio an audiobook by someone you like is always going to be great because you like them and then you hear their voice and you're like, oh, this is actually like I feel like I'm getting more out of their story than I might have by reading it. So the book I think came about because she wrote this editorial urging like society at large to have compassion for victims of sexual violence. And so um, she revealed her own trauma as a victim of, of sexual assault. And she sort of like weaves that in to this group of essays that are both funny and thought provoking and just really like she's obviously like very thoughtful and deliberate about what she's saying. So what she talks about from the beginning, she talks about things like the pain of hair relaxer and like how she was dealing with her hair as like a young person and how she like as she grew more into, you know, like the woman that she became, she started sticking up for herself more. So she's talking about how like on movie sets, they frequently will have like people will hire their friends to do hair in like this trailer. And so you'll get this like white woman who has hired her white women friends who were like, oh, I can do any kind of hair. And Gabrielle Union was like, when I started out, I would just be like, oh, okay, sure. And like not stick up for myself. And after because I didn't want to be like, you don't know how to do your job, like with my hair. And then after a while, she was like, no, I need to. So she talks about that. She talks about visiting her grandmother in Nebraska as uh, like a teenager for from California and how like she, that gave her this whole different perspective because where she grew up in California had she was like the one black student basically um, there were a couple of others but she was like we didn't associate and just what it was like going from a mostly white community to like a black community in Nebraska and how much she like loved her time there and then like this drug epidemic that like swept that and how 
Oh gosh, it's just like, I just feel like I want to like get really into it, but we don't have time. But that's just one section of like, she talks a lot about sexuality. So if you're not comfortable with that, there's a hilarious story about her using a tampon for the first time that like genuinely made me burst out laughing. (laughs) And it's such a like, and that part especially was such a like, when you're, you know, like coming up as like a, I don't know, is it prepubescent? I guess that's pubescent teen. Um, that's just such a moment, you know, like with your your friends of like, oh, well, like, oh, we're all talking about this. And this is such a like mysterious experience. So she and then she also talks about, you know, crushes that she had, which is like also like it just brings back a lot of memories. It's a really good book. And it's also really good in terms of what we were talking about for this episode of the podcast as in like episodic so you can like every one of the essays is like pretty split up in terms of topics so you can listen to it and then you know finish it come back and just do another one and you don't necessarily have to be like oh yeah what was happening in the last one so it's really good for that again that is we're going to need more wine stories that are funny complicated and true by gabrielle union oh that sounds so good i'm gonna write that one down and find it because it sounds awesome All right, so my first recommendation for this is a a book called Southern Lady Code Essays by Helen Ellis, uh, which came out in 2019. And um, Helen Ellis is a Southern woman who uh, grew up, uh, she grew up in the South and she married a New Yorker and now lives there. Um, And these essays are sort of about funny things about being a Southern lady and kind of all of the kind of explaining Southern womanhood, but also making fun of it and also making fun of herself and kind of all of those different things. So she describes the Southern lady code as a technique by which if you don't have something nice to say, you say something not so nice in a nice way. And so the whole (laughs) whole collection is a bunch of essays about her marriage, about manners, about writing thank you notes, about Uh, having three ways about ghosts, uh, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, And it is a great one to just listen to on audio because the audiobook is like three and a half hours long, but there are 23 little essays in it. So they're all super short and you can just kind of listen to one really quickly and then move on to something else. I'm not quite finished listening to this one, but the reason I wanted to mention it is because I heard um, Helen Ellis read from the book at a book festival I went to last year. Which just like side note, remember when we got to go to book festivals? That oh, was yeah. fun, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so she read it at a book festival last year and it was she is so, so funny. She has this beautiful, hilarious southern accent and she just like leans into it when she's reading. Um and she does these like impressions of her mother who calls her Helen Michelle. And it's so funny when she is just reading her stuff herself. And the situations she finds herself in are just really absurd. Um, I just got finished listening to an essay about how she inadvertently stole this $800 Burberry trench coat from someone, but she doesn't know who and she didn't know what to do about it. And then the end result of the essay is that her husband buys her this like even more expensive coat. So it's just, it's very silly and she's making fun of herself, which is why it works because I think if she wasn't making fun of herself, these would be kind of insufferable. Uh, but she like clearly knows how absurd a lot of this stuff is. And so she really just leans into it and has a lot of fun kind of explaining Southern lady code ideas and making fun of the ways in which she leans into those stereotypes and the ways that she pushes back against them um, in her own life and with her marriage and all of that kind of stuff. So it's really, it's kind of goofy and just a good laugh and not at all something that makes you feel like you have to take any of it seriously. So that is uh, Southern lady code essays by helen ellis well that's a nice like shift in tone especially to you know because of what i'm about to talk about okay (laughs) 
<laughs> my other audiobook is Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers by Mary Roach. I had never read any Mary Roach before, so this was quite a journey. <laughs> I, I say that in a positive way, obviously. I'm recommending it. I really liked it. So Mary Roach, it really seems like she gets interested in a topic. She just dives in and just like goes and meets with a bunch of people and interviews them and then writes about it. So she's not the narrator of her audiobook, but I feel like the narrator is so likable and like someone who's just like an interested lady trying to find out about things that she's like, she's really properly communicating that and is someone who I would want to hang out with based on her delivery of Mary Roach's words. So some of the chapter titles are A Head is a Terrible Thing to Waste, Practicing Surgery on the Dead. Crimes of Anatomy, Body Snatching and Other Sordid Tales from the Dawn of Human Dissection. Oh, that's so good. The Cadaver Who Joined the Army, The Sticky Ethics of Bullets and Bombs, and Remains of the Author, Will She or Won't She? And that's not even all of them. This is just like a handful. <laughs> so one reason that I like it, again, it's very kind of like episodic in that she does go and looks at this group of surgeons who are plastic surgeons who are practicing surgery on the dead and then she like goes to watch embalming happen and it was actually interesting because i have also been reading a lot of caitlin doty and i read mm -hmm. smoke gets in your eyes also on audiobook and she specifically talks about i'm pretty sure the mortuary school that mary roach goes to to like watch the embalming oh no way really yeah i yeah and i think caitlin doty is kind of like slams it so i <laughs> Because she's anti-embalming. Like, she's very anti that. Also, I think she was like, it's kind of a waste of money. So it was interesting hearing that, but also Caitlin Doty has specifically recommended Stiff. So she doesn't, like, hold that against Mary Roach, <laughs> which is nice. No, I really liked it. I will say, when you were talking about not reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark at Night, anytime you're about to eat. Like, don't read mm -hmm. stiff. Like, don't have that going on. I found it, like, well, when I was listening to it, I was finding it difficult to pinpoint the moments in the day when I was like, okay, can I listen to it now? Is there going to be, <laughs> like, any time soon where that's going to be a problem? Because I've just heard a lot of tales of specifics around corpses. But that being said, it's still really good. And um, if you, you know, especially if you have like a strong stomach and maybe you can listen to it over lunch, I don't know your life, uh, definitely recommend it. So again, that is Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers by Mary Roach. This is a great pick. I have read a bunch of Mary Roach and this one is easily my favorite. Uh, it is gross. <laughs> but yeah, you're totally right. Like she just gets way interested in something and then just like goes at it from every possible angle that you could think of. And it's so weird and just just really good. Yeah, good pick. All right, so my final pick, I guess, actually is kind of a good parallel to my first one. Uh, it's called Self-Inflicted Wounds, Heartwarming Tales of Epic Humiliation by Aisha Tyler. And this one came back out, like, back in 2013. And I listened to it on audiobook quite a while ago, but I liked it so much that I always remember how funny I thought it was, and I have recommended it a few times. So Aisha Tyler is a comedian, actress. She was a talk show host at one point. Um, and this book is a bunch of essays where she talks about a series of epic mistakes and hilarious stories of crushing personal humiliation and then the insights and wisdom that she gained from those experiences. So she in this whole book is just telling you over and over these embarrassing stories of things that she did to herself or happened to her. And then really like makes lemon makes lemonade out of lemons and tells you like what those really embarrassing moments happened to her. And I love this one because 
I think sometimes it can feel like when people tell you embarrassing stories, like they're telling them in sort of a self-aggrandizing way, like, oh my gosh, this is such an embarrassing thing that happened to me. You'll never, but they really don't think that. Uh, And she absolutely was like, these were so embarrassing. Like these were genuinely horrifying things that happened, but she, she's not telling you, she's telling you them in like a genuine way. Like it never feels mean spirited or fake or anything, which I think is really fun and like not totally common in celebrity essays. So I really liked that kind of candidness of it. And I think like everybody can relate to the idea of like looking back at your mistakes and being like, I cannot believe that happened. I cannot believe I did that. But like knowing that you bounce back from these embarrassing moments and like come out better for them. So um, I really think this one is funny. There's just a lot of really good stories in it. And she is so candid and just like self-aware and really good at at telling these stories. So uh, that is Self-Inflicted Wounds, Heartwarming Tales of Epic Humiliation by Aisha Tyler. Yeah, so with that, uh, that's the wrapping up some audiobook essays, quick listens. I don't really know exactly what to call it, but they're all uh, good good audiobooks. So uh, we will wrap up this week's podcast as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now or that we hope to be reading soon. So the book that I just picked up earlier today that I'm kind of interested in is one that came out earlier this year called Hidden Valley Road, Inside the Mind of an American Family by Robert Kolker. This is a story about a family in American family in the 1950s where uh, there were 12 children and six of them were eventually diagnosed with schizophrenia. And um, after that happened, the um, family became one of the first families to be studied by the National Institute of Mental Health. So it's a story about this family, but then also kind of a history of the science of schizophrenia and how our treatment and understanding and response to people who are suffering from that mental illness has changed over time. And it's a kind of a big, thick book, but everybody who has read it has really raved about it. So I don't know. I feel like I just, my brain needed something kind of different to pick up for a while. And so this one seemed like it might be a good kind of difference and distracting kind of pick for a little while. So that is Hidden Valley Road, uh, Inside the Mind of an American Family by Robert Kolker. Oh, let me and our listeners know how that is. I am very interested. Will do. My current read is The Woman's Hour by Elaine Weiss, which uh, again, I know that Kim has read. This Okay, so I it was my book club pick, so I like absolutely have to finish it in the next few days. I really like it. It's really well researched and she definitely gets into like I tend to stop caring about women's suffrage history at like 1900. Therefore, this whole, you know, focus on 1920 is a lot of stuff that I am not that aware of. I will say that I am taking notes as to bullet points that I disagree with her. <laughs> Um, but also making notes of like people to look up. Also, I didn't know Ida Tarbell, uh, the journalist, was anti-suffrage. That was a huge shock. Oh. And um, I was really glad that she talked up Frederick Douglass and how much he supported, you know, women's rights. That was awesome because he was such uh, amazing. Can you give me one example of a bullet point in which you disagree? Oh, yeah. Okay. So she talks about the creation of the Seneca Falls Convention, which, you know, started at this um, uh, convention in England about abolition, where the American women delegates uh, to the convention weren't allowed to speak. And they even had like a vote on the floor and the vast majority of the men said no. So Elizabeth Cady Stanton's story is always like, Lucretia Mott and I were outraged and we decided right then that we were going to have a convention. And then eight years later, there we were having the convention. (laughs) So in the biography of Lucretia Mott that I read, (laughs) 
<laughs> which um, is very good. Uh, they talk about there's no record on Lucretia Mott's side of any of this. Like, she doesn't say, you know, like anything in her writings at all about like, oh, yeah, we're going to have a convention or like this was so upsetting. I don't doubt that she was upset. Right. And she definitely was pro women's rights and she was pro um, eventually get women getting the vote. But Elizabeth Cady Stanton had a tendency to bulldoze. And the way that they talk in the Women's Hour about it is that classic Elizabeth Cady Stanton story of like Lucretia Mott and I were on the exact same page. And in, in mm. actuality, Lucretia Mott was so pro like abolition, like the fight for abolition was her main concern. And like she Again, she cared about women's rights, but like that was kind of a side concern for her. And so seeing uh, the author kind of go along with that, I was like, oh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton won again. <laughs> and then also, this is a little, all of these are like nitpicking things. So, but like the uh, another one was in the Women's Suffrage Parade in DC. They talk about how there were like all of these, you know, violent like attacks on the women who were parading. And like, that's kind of true, but they don't talk about how the Boy Scouts stood up to protect them and were like holding back men who were trying to like interrupt the parade with their little like boy scout stick things <laughs> it's so cute they were like the it's police true. didn't help and uh because they were on the side of the anti-suffrage men so there that that's some info um but the boy scouts stood up and helped oh gosh i just love it so much so <laughs> anyway so i'm reading the woman's hour it's very good i do recommend it and with that you can find us on social media. I'm at It's Alice Time, and Kim is at Kim the Dork. And if you feel so inclined, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, that helps people find the podcast more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so that you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I am Kim Ugra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast. Podcast.